All right, so listen, uh, there's a scripture that we're going to look at tonight. Um, and it says this, it's 1 Samuel 16, 7. Say that. 1 Samuel 16, 7. You, you don't have to say NIV. All right. <laughs> the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Let me say it to you again. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord does not look at the outward appearance. Sorry, I messed it up. So we don't get it right. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. All right, so you're going to say it. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Amen? Amen. Amen. So I want you to know something, Surf City. I want you to know something, and I want you to understand it, and I want you to understand it in a very, very deep way. Our God is here. He is here with us. Our God has set a divine appointment on his calendar for you. Not one of you are here by accident. Not one of you are here that the Lord did not know was going to be here. There's somebody in this room who just decided to come this week. But God knew you were going to be here. There's somebody in this room who thought, I'm not sure. I don't know if I want to go. I don't really like youth groupy things. There's a person in my church who gets on my nerves and they're going to be on the trip. But God knew you were coming. God set an appointment on his calendar for you. And because God did that for you, the thing I'm going to ask you for this week is simply this. I'm going to ask you to pay attention. I'm going to ask you to actually take time and to learn about why God would shape all of history to this moment so that you could hear his word, so that you could hear these things. It really is an egotistical thing for a speaker to get up and say, all of history has been shaped that you might hear what I have to say. <laughs> It's kind of true. <laughs> and it's a beautiful and intentional thing because what God is doing is he is saying that of all of my people, you are special and I want you to hear what I have to say. So with that in mind, I want us to just take a few moments and just pray that our time together would be a sacred time. 
Let's pray. Father, I am so thankful for each of these young people that you have gathered here. I'm thankful, Lord God, that you love them. I'm thankful, Father God, that you have called them according to your purposes. I'm thankful, Lord God, that you have amassed them here for this time, for something that I don't even understand, but that you know and that you want to do in each and every heart here. And so, God, I pray that every distraction that we have would be set to the side. God, I pray that every agenda that we have would be set to the side. God, I pray pray that we would be a people set apart for you. And in that, God, I pray that you would awaken our hearts. This I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In the late 1970s, there was a basketball dynasty. It was amazing. And if you know anything about sports and sports dynasties, you know that, like, to give the title dynasty to something, I mean, it's pretty big. You know, in the 70s, we had the Steel Curtain defense. We had the Pittsburgh Steelers. It was a dynasty, dominant. We have the Shaq and Kobe Lakers, dominant. We have the LeBron and Dwayne Wade heat, dominant. Yes, and now we have the Curry. Uh, don't don't get don't don't start hating, don't start hating. We have we have the Curry Durant Warriors. But ladies and gentlemen, all of those dynasties pale in comparison to this late 70s basketball juggernaut. No, I'm not talking about Julius Irving and the 76ers, although they were pretty good. I'm not talking about Magic and the Lakers, and they were pretty good. And I'm not talking about Bird and the Celtics, no. I'm talking about Eldridge Henley, and the Manchester Tigers, baby. Yeah. See, what happened was, back in the day, in the, in, in the late 70s, there was a dominant team in all of Pittsburgh elementary schools. It was Manchester. We were bad. I'm going to just tell you straight up. We were bad. And here's the thing, when you're so dominant, when you're a dominant team, everybody wants to be on the team. So I want you to know that I was on the fourth grade team for the Manchester Tigers. Yes. What? What? Oh, my goodness. I got to sit down. I was on the fourth grade team for the Manchester Tigers, but just because you were on the fourth grade team doesn't mean you automatically went to the fifth grade team, to the big show. But when I was in fourth grade, something amazing happened. A movie came out that defined my life, a movie called The Warriors. And it was about these street gangs that were all in New York City and they were trying to make their way to Coney Island so that they can get into a big, gigantic fight. And even though I didn't live in New York City, and I didn't really know what Coney Island was. I snuck into the movie, and I really liked it, me and my friends. So we made a gang 
called the Warriors. And every day, the Warriors would ride our bikes after school. We'd go get Doritos. We'd go to the park and share them. Yeah, yeah. But here's what the Warriors decided. We all had to make the fifth grade basketball team. So we started practicing. Not really. We ate Doritos. <laughs> but we all decided that we needed to make that team. And so here's the thing. You might not believe this right now, but I'm not the most athletic of fellas. Um, I mean, I was on the fourth grade team, but yeah. The fifth grade team was... That was crazy. So here's what happened. We started having tryouts. Can you guys excuse me, because I'm going to come down. Yeah, I know. Ain't that crazy? <laughs> Be careful. Be careful. <laughs> it could hurt. <laughs> it really could. She said, oh, gosh. Like, <laughs> she might as well say, Jesus, help us. Um, <laughs> But here was the thing. So we started our tryouts, and a new dude came to school, Darnell. And we all knew, all of the Warriors knew that I was on the bubble, that I might not make the team. Now here's the thing about Darnell. He could run faster than me. He could jump higher than me. Mr. Manfreda, our coach, would put us against each other in the jump ball challenge. It was me and Darnell. Really, the whole rest of the team could have sat down. Everybody knew it was just us. And he would throw the ball up, and I would jump, and Darnell would jump higher and smack the ball. And everybody would be like, come on, Wayne. All the rest of the Warriors, come on, Wayne. And, they, and then really, they were like, he ain't going to make it. <laughs> but everybody would be like, come on, Wayne, come on, Wayne. And so, like, he, Mr. Manfredo would toss the ball again. I'd jump up and be like, <gasps> and Darnell would be like, pow! <laughs> it was bad. Except this one thing. Having been on the fourth grade team, I learned this one lesson from Mr. Manfredo. You never miss a layup. Mr. Manfredo had a finger, and I don't know if it was a fake finger that just covered over some steel, but like he had this finger that if you would miss a layup, he would just drill it into your chest. Younger, you missed the layup! Never miss a layup! So Darnell wasn't from our school. So when they would feed him the ball at the bottom of the basket, he would get all messed up, and he wouldn't be able to make that layup. I knew that finger. And so when they fed me the ball at the bottom of the hoop, oh, you better believe it's always going in. And I don't know if you know this, but there's a square on the back of the, yeah. If you, if you hit the middle of that square, the ball always goes in. So I learned how to shoot a layup. And when the announcement came, for who made the team and who didn't make the team, I made. 
the team. Yes. Yes. Now let me, let me explain to you what that meant. Manchester Tigers, when we walked in the building, we walked in big. And we had our purple and gold on. And we, and we had those pants that kind of snap all the way here. <laughs> you know, so you could rip them off. Be like, ooh, intimidating people. It was great. And I rode the bench the whole time. Except when our star player, Eldred Henley, got hurt. Or just needed to breathe. I got to play. And every time I played, I knew this. Stand under the hoop, never for more than three seconds, run out, run back, and when they shoot, when they hand you the ball, hit the back of the square. I was a good backup player. I was good. Everybody who looked thought that somebody else should have my position because I didn't look the part. But the person who made the decision understood that, was, that there was something about me that was valuable. The person who made the decision understood that by having me there, there was a solid choice that was made. I want to talk to you about God's people. Thousands of years ago, God, on behalf of his people, did an amazing thing. They were enslaved. They had been enslaved between 215 and 400 years. They had been in slavery. And so they prayed and they cried out to God. And God said, you know what? I have heard my people's cries. I'm going to come down. I'm going to do something. So God went down and he got his people out of slavery. And he led them through the desert. And he miraculously fed them every day. Every day he made sure that their needs were met. Every day he was good to them, and every day they never wanted for anything. And then God said, I'm going to take you into a land, and when I take you to this land, you're going to conquer everybody that you come up against, because I'm your God, and you're my people, and the world needs to know that I am yours, and you are mine. And so God started delivering people into their hands, and he started giving them land and giving them a place to live. But the people said this, when we look around at all the other people around us, they all have a king. And we feel like if we're going to be a legitimate people, we need to have a king too. Now, no king had ever led his people out of slavery into a place where they were defeating lands. No king had ever done that. But the people of God said, you know what, we want the other kind of king. And God was not too pleased about that. God wasn't pleased at all. And God had a man at that time. God's man's name was Samuel. Samuel was God's boy. Samuel was the one that if there was something that God needed to say to the people, he told Samuel. And Samuel did what God told him to do. That's what made him have a special relationship with God. And everybody knew 
that Samuel and God had this special relationship. So the people came to Samuel and they said, look, Sam, the truth is, bro, you're going to die. I mean, I hate to break it to you, dude, but you're going to die. So we need a king so that if you die, because your sons ain't cool, your son, we don't want your sons. Your sons ain't cool and you're going to die, we need a king. And, God, and, and Samuel said, dudes, if you guys get a king, it's not going to be good for you. It's not going to be good. A king's going to rule over you. A king is going to take a tenth of everything that you earn, everything that you make. If you guys try to get a king, that's not really going to be good for you. But the people were like, man, you need to stop it, Samuel, for real. Get us a king, yo. And so Samuel was like, hey, God, these people want a king. And God said, man, I heard that mess. I heard all about that mess. And don't worry, bro, because they, they are not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. So when I'm talking like this, um, it's, this is directly translated from the Hebrew, all right? This is, this is how the Hebrews said it, like the Hebrew, that's how the Hebrews talk. So yeah, anyway, so, 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 so here's Samuel. He's Samuel is talking, talking to God, and God's like, man, they rejected me, yo. Don't worry about that. Just, just go and do what they want to do. And so here's what Samuel does. Samuel goes, and he finds a man named Saul. And Saul, not salt. Saul. <laughs> We're going to have you try not to interrupt me again, all right? No, just kidding. <laughs> just a joke. <laughs> it's a joke. We can be, we're friends, we're friends, we're friends. Don't, don't worry, don't worry. Although the time might come when I do that, but you'll know it for real, okay? But no, for real, Saul was this guy that Samuel chose. And here's the thing about Saul. Saul was like what you would think a king would look like. Just good body. I mean, just like boom, boom, boom. Dude, have you ever, have you ever seen that movie 300? Okay. It's rated R, you shouldn't have saw it, okay? But in the movie 300, everybody has a six-pack. I mean, everybody in the whole movie, you're like, how could a whole society have six-packs? It kills me. Saul was that dude. Just, just good to look at, strong, tall, sick. He didn't have a six-pack, he had an eight-pack. And here's the thing about Saul. He stood head and shoulders above all of the rest of the Israelites. The tallest dude there was. He looked like a king. But the problem was, he didn't have a heart like a king. He looked the part, but his heart wasn't the part. And through a lot of trial and a lot of tribulation and a lot of stuff, God came to the place where he could no longer have Saul be a king over his people. God came to a place of rejecting Saul. And so what did he do? He talked to his man. He said, Sam, We got to get a new king up in this situation. Because Saul's heart isn't right. And so what God said to Samuel was this. I want you to go 
and I want you to find this guy. He's a Bethlehemite named Jesse. Now, if you're a Bethlehemite, it just means that you're from the town of Bethlehem. You got, you, that's good. If you're a Bethlehemite, it just means you're from the town of Bethlehem. And who else do we know from the town of Bethlehem? Oh, could it be? Could it be? Yes, Jesus. So anyway, so Jesse, right, he's in Bethlehem with his family, right? And Saul says, he comes to Jesse and he's, uh, sorry, Samuel comes to Jesse and he says, Jesse, I got to meet with you and I got to meet with your family. So we're going to worship. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to make a sacrifice and I'm going to meet your sons. And so Jesse gets his sons together. And you got to understand, like when, when Samuel comes to town, everybody knows this is, that's, that this is God's man who's coming to town. This is like a big deal. So, so Samuel comes to Jesse's house and he wants to meet all of Jesse's sons. He wants to meet them all. And, and, and there are, everybody's just like, what's going on? This is so awesome. Like Samuel's here. It's like a rock star. They're like, it's like Bieber. You know what I mean? Like, people are like ah, ah. no, so just sorry. Sorry. I went, I went too far. It wasn't, it wasn't like that. So Samuel's there, and everybody's excited. And so Samuel says, I want to meet all your sons. And then what happens is, starting from the oldest on down, Samuel presents his sons. Sorry, Jesse presents his sons to Samuel. First comes the oldest. And Samuel's like, dude, we might as well stop the search right here. That right there, that's a king. <laughs> and God's like, boop, next the next one comes. Samuel's like, yeah, man, we had a, this, is, this is it. This is, this is king material right here. Look at him. And God's like, no, no. He just rejects all seven of Jesse's sons. And Samuel's like, now, I know I heard my homie. I know God told me to come here. So, so what is going on? And, 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 and Samuel says to Jesse, like, is this all your sons? And Jesse's like, well, I mean... I mean, there's the youngest. I mean, he, he's out with the sheep right now because, I mean, that's what he does. And Samuel's like, well, look, I know God told me to come here for one of your boys, and so if that's the one I haven't met, you need to bring him. And, and, and then the Bible says that when, when, when David came, he was, he, was, he was ruddy and he was handsome and he had beautiful eyes. The Bible says he had beautiful eyes. And, and, and then Samuel's like, Absolutely. And the Lord says to Samuel, this, this is the one. But see, even David's father didn't think he was worth bringing before Samuel. He was stuck out there with the livestock, even though the most important person, the most important person in their society was coming to dinner at his house, and he wasn't even worth getting to be able to be at that dinner. It's like not, it's not like, it's like not being allowed to come to Christmas because someone has to watch the cows. Yeah. That's horrible. It's like the president is coming to your house and everyone in your family will be there, but you have to stay at your grandma's house with her cats. I, I am amazed 
at how much rage that filled you with. It's like Jay-Z and Beyonce are having a welcome home party for their twins at your house, but everybody for some reason came on horseback, and you have to read the newspaper to the horses in the stables. That's not cool. It's not fair. But here's the thing. Can we put our verse back up? Here's the thing. Nobody believed that David should have been there. Nobody believed that he should have been there because nobody believed that he was worth anything. But this is what God said. That the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And there were better looking people. There were better people who might have what it takes to be king, but the Lord saw David's heart and the Lord wanted him. You see, David was a shepherd. And in that culture, the shepherds were probably some of the most important people in the culture, but they were also the most rejected people in the, in the culture. They spent their time with animals. They smelled bad. Even their families, while they did a great service to their families, even their families rejected them. David was an afterthought to his family. He was just a nuisance we're going to see that tomorrow when we look further into David's life. We're going to see that he is a nuisance to his family. Someone who had an important job, but he was just not cherished at all. See, guys, I needed to tell you today. I needed to tell you something that's very important. It doesn't matter how the world looks at you. It doesn't matter what flaw you have. It doesn't matter what people say about you. It does not matter. It does not matter if people think you're cute. It doesn't matter if people think you're ugly. None of that matters. What matters is this. God knows your heart. God knows your heart. And if God knows your heart, then he knows the secret desires that you have. If God knows your heart, then he knows all of your potential. If God knows your heart, he has seen you and he has valued you. And this is what you need to know. God knows your heart and he still invited you here this weekend or this week. God knows your heart, and in your design, he has said to you, I want you to come away with me. I want you to hear me. I want you to know that you are special to me, that it is not because your family is special to me. You are special to me. I want you to hear me. I want you to know me. I want you to cherish me as I cherish you. I know your Because this is what I believe, and it's why I'm here. I believe that many of us in this room are set apart for amazing things in Christ. I believe that many of us in this room hold the answers to many of the things that, that, that cause our society the greatest pain. 
I believe that many of us in this room are the ones that God is raising up to be his answers. Do you know we pray day in and day out for God to do something in our society, and he has already done it in us, but we don't get up and move because we're waiting for somebody else to be the answer. I believe that God has called us to this place so that he can awaken in us a desire to be his people, to be his answer. Some of you are like David here. You've been overlooked in favor of others. I have a promise to you, and that's this. This week, if you're choosing God, he's choosing you. Hear me say that. If you are choosing God this week, he is choosing you. And if you choose him, and if you walk with him, I promise you, your life will never be the same. Amen. This is my prayer for you. I was in the back during worship, and I was watching you guys doing all your, like, craziness and dancing and jumping. This is heaven. Right? And this is the prayer. This is the prayer that was birthed in me for you in that moment. The prayer that was birthed in me for you in that moment was that that God would take that and turn it from just a fun mosh into a declaration of the truth that flows from your heart. Because the truth is, there are people who are dying, dying to know that heaven exists and they are dying to know that, that there is a God who loves them. They are dying to know. They, they, they don't even know it, but they wish in their hearts that they can be in the place that you're in right now, having received a divine invitation from God to be with him all week, to learn of him all week, to be transformed in him all week, to come away different, to go back to a city that desperately, desperately, desperately needs us to not just be church people, but to be people who are transformed into the image of God that the world might know that Jesus was sent from the Father. See, we don't trifle with the gospel. We don't talk about this thing just because it's religious stuff and religious people do religious stuff. We are about the gospel of Jesus Christ that says this, there is a way, there is a God in Israel. To all of you who sit up here in front, I spit. You got, you got a deal. You got a deal. Receive it as holy water. Just, just kidding. I don't believe in holy water. But I do like Fiji water. You too? Come here. Come here. No, 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 no. No, everybody else sit down. What is your name, sir? Adam. Adam? Yeah. I feel like we're brothers, Adam. I feel like it. 
I think we, we kind of look alike, don't we? Totally. Adam, how old are you? 12. Let me tell you, when I was 12, I was crushing the females. No, just kidding. Just kidding. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking, kind of. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. A little bit. Just a little. I can't help it. I'm cute. So, so this is out of control, and I'm sorry, Brad. I'll be better in tomorrow. But here is the thing I want to leave you with, and Adam and I want to leave you with this, with this thought. This is the thing that we want you to know. God has observed you. He is looking at your heart, and he is pleased. He looks at you, and he's pleased, and he loves you, and he is committed to you. And no matter what you have to go through to get to him this week, go through it. Because if you do, he will choose you. And in the choosing, he will give you a calling. And that calling will lead you to lead people to know that our God is real. Let's pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, we come before you and we thank you. We thank you, Father, that while the world looked at David and saw a scrawny kid, you looked at him and saw someone who could bring hope for your people. And so, Father God, as you look at us and you see us for who we are, with every wart that we have, with every wrong that we've done, we ask God, that you would speak to us, call our names, give us an assignment that the world might know that Jesus was sent from the Father. It is our desire. And we ask and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Thanks for listening to audio recorded at Surf City 2017. Feel free to share this audio, but please do not alter the content. Surf City is a ministry of the Pittsburgh Kids Foundation. To learn more, visit us online at pkfcamps.org.